What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod. Once again, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan with my co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Yo, yo, what's good, man? We got a, uh, a pretty fun rundown today. We got a couple of sophomore albums to talk about, uh, an animated series, a beloved animated series that returned after two years. A, uh, a Netflix series that returned after one year, kind of unexpectedly. And yeah. last Christmas, we're, we're doing Christmas movies this year, Dave. Uh, I think it's the first time on the pod. <laughs> Before Thanksgiving, I thought. Yeah. So uh, we're getting in the holiday spirit early. And if you want to get in the holiday spirit too, a gift that we would really appreciate is hitting that subscribe button <laughs> on YouTube. It's go, free. <laughs> and go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to follow us any way you want to and lastly hit us up on twitter and share us with friends we uh we appreciate all the support why don't we start today with doja cat um number the second album follow-up to last year's debut album dave how uh how tuned in are you to doja cat yeah good question so doja cat last year dropped that viral single moo which was obviously a joke yeah bitch of a cow moo right like really slaps slapped together music video that was probably made in like microsoft paint or some shit like really really amateur ridiculous song and everyone's like who's this doge cat person she has some mixtapes so this song is absurd and that's kind of what happened you know it's got a lot of streams but no one took it seriously and then Amala, that debut album, comes out. Mm-hmm. And, oh, wait a minute. There's actually a little bit more here besides Moo. There's some more things going on. A song like uh, Go to Town, the first track, is actually like, really great. And, you know, just kind of like a bubbly R&B slash hip-hop voice. But she seems to have her own little flair, unique compared to some of her contemporaries. And then I think what most importantly happened is she re-released Amala earlier this year in 2019 with some mm-hmm. bonus tracks. Namely, uh, Juicy, which is a banger that did really well for her and inspired a Tiger remix, which is on this second album, Hot Pink. Personally, I think the Tiger remix is totally unnecessary. The original track is <laughs> quite good on its own. But nonetheless, she kind of really quickly established herself as a legitimate and also exciting new voice after debuting like a little Nas X in a certain sense in a really ridiculous uh non-traditional way so uh yeah i did not get plugged until recently really until i heard do- uh, uh juicy and i was like oh wait this is actually an artist to pay attention to so i mean had you had you you know been paying attention to that leading in and we had juicy on the playlist for a few months now but you know she uh it's, it's been a quick rise for sure yeah the only the only way i really was aware of her was from juicy when, when you told me to put it onto the playlist and you can check out that playlist uh, best of 20 uh, nostalgia pod best of 20 19 nostalgia best of 2019 nostalgia best of 2019 on spotify link in youtube and everywhere else drop the pod just nostalgia anyways yeah so that was pretty much um the only way i was tuned into her and i was really pleasantly surprised by this this album hot pink um not only did i i I find it to be incredibly fun um pretty much from the get-go but it, it felt like a really quick listen i mean it only uh checks in at 39 minutes 12 tracks but it didn't really seem to um, to become too too samey or too laggy, and it's very like bubblegum pop hip hop for me. Like it kind of it has fun beats, it has 
fun hooks, just kind of snacking around in your mouth, enjoy it. <laughs> you know, I'd say it's it's not necessarily the album I'm going to be coming back to a lot, but for the listen, I was pleasantly surprised. How did you feel about Hot Pink? Yeah, it kind of reminded me a lot of Amala, but like the, taking the next step, you point out the production, which I think uh, definitely stood out to me because on this album, she's using a lot of autotune, which she had done before. Mm-hmm. She's also making a lot of kind of crossover songs, songs that you could definitely hear on non-traditional hip-hop radio and you know programming and i think that the beat choices kind of match that uh match that vibe she was going for so overall i think this kind of shows that there's a lot of different lanes doja cat to pursue if she wants to obviously the juicy run is still going the the remix is still very much on the chart so you think she'll i assume she'll keep going that route for now but Honestly, like the second half of the album really kind of like, you know, took me by surprise. Like uh, once I heard uh, Streets, mm. where yep. you have this like really like cerebral beat after this like old school sample drops in to start the song. And then she kind of does like a different flow that she hadn't really done on the album to that point. So overall, I think it's uh, it's quite fun, like you said. And, you know, she just has some really fun jams to like, like that with uh, Gucci Mane. I also really enjoyed mm-hmm. Shine. I liked uh, the Spino joint. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think Rules um, really set it out to me. It's just a really fun track. Um, honestly, that whole run in the middle, um, Rules, Bottom Bitch, Say So, I just found very funny. Even Talk Dirty, I thought was pretty good. And like you said, I think Streets is the uh, the clear standout. will definitely be on the Nostalgia Best 2019 playlist along with Juicy, uh, although... Um, the, the, not not the tiger remix juice. No. <laughs> <laughs> Any last thoughts on uh, Doja Cat before we move on to FKA Twigs? But yeah, I thought it was interesting that Bottom Bitch, which again I agree is a good song, samples the guitar line from Blink 182's Adam song. Yeah. Uh, unexpected, for sure. They, they got credited on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it's also interesting to point out, um, she seems to have gotten off scot-free on like past controversy like doja cat did a sign to dr luke not too long ago which is not a uh, thing anyone uh, wants people to be doing these days for obvious reasons um and she's had some you know homophobic language used in the past and on twitter and stuff but overall it sounds like she's uh definitely on the rise and i think this is just kind of more more proof after amala so yeah doja cat doja cat hot pink good she falls into those uh, those female uh, hip hop artists who seem to really be having a moment this year and breaking yeah, out, which so is, many. is great. Yeah, there's a ton of them, which has been just a really awesome surprise this year. Um, you know, another artist who I, I wouldn't say necessarily is breaking out, but I think leveling up in a sense is FKA Twigs on her second album, Magdalene. Um, five year hiatus since LP1 dropped. Um, and, uh, FK Twigs, Twiggy, uh, I don't know. She, she, she's been uh, through quite a bit in that time, you know, mm-hmm. very public relationship with, with our guy. I say mainly your guy, our Pat, Robert Pattinson. Um, Shia LaBeouf too. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, uh, a very public breakup. You know, there was actually rumors that they might have been engaged, Robert Pattinson and FK mm-hmm. Twigs. Uh, breakup Risky behavior. <laughs> guy that in demand. And then uh, 
and then she also had a uh, had some lesions or um, yeah. some, some tumorous uh, massive fibro- fibroids. Yeah, yes, medical issues for sure. So um, it's been through quite a bit, and this album, I mean, LP one in and of itself is genre bending, very uh, artistic, very inventive. I never really. Uh, I wouldn't say I loved LP one. I it never really caught me. You know, it, it's it's very like soft, challenging music. I think in ways it, so, it still sounds good, but not things that I really find myself running back often. And then Magdalene drops, and upon my first listen, I kind of had the same response. I had this feeling like, all right, I'm not sure if this is going to be an album I'm going to be coming back to. But then I gave it two more listens because I really wanted to sink in. There's, you know, got a lot of praise everywhere. And the more I listened, the, it's the little flourishes on this album that I think really make it great and level it up. And then you kind of, with FK Twig, you kind of have to pull in this, uh, her whole persona, all you know, the videos, the online personality, the things she tweets. So it's, I think there's a lot more here than just the music. But I guess just give me your general thoughts on it, and let's start digging into the parts we liked or disliked about Magdalene. Yeah, I think uh, with LP1, well, so she has those two EPs, EP1, EP2, mm-hmm. and those didn't really do much for me. They're really short, obviously, as EPs, but, you know, just kind of like avant-garde, yeah, smooth pop music, electronic, you know, it's like you said, genre bending. But then uh, once LP1 comes on 2014, and then that Melissa EP in mm-hmm. 2015, those two projects, I was like, oh, wait, I get it now. This is actually like really cool stuff. And you know, you, you've, you've heard this influence on like Solange and like Kalela and other people in this all R&B space the past few years. And two weeks, that big song off LP1, which was on a lot of critics lists in 2014, mm-hmm. you know, Amazing Bridge. That's that song that I, I think obviously people would point to. is like that's like the quintessential FKA Twig song to this point. And then she goes on this big hiatus. Obviously, a lot of personal things, still public figure for the most part, but a lot of personal things going on. What What is she going to come back to? Because now that her influence has already been expressed by others in the space, you know, like you, I wasn't like a huge fan or anything. But it's funny, listening to this in the context of the album, I really appreciate the singles way more now, like Cellophane, yeah. the last track, and uh, Holy Terrain with Future. Yeah. I heard them as singles, and I was like, all right, cool. This is This is like, you know, what she does. But then once you understand the, uh, the themes of the album, and in Cellophane's case, uh, you know, once the album is crested and ended and get that, uh, you kind of really appreciate the, what she was going for, like the artistic intent. And yeah, I mean, it got so much acclaim. And that's funny for uh, an album that is uh, you know, a pop, pop album that's you know, really understated. It's really, it's really soft, but... Her songwriting is what really shines, of course, and getting into, you know, how she was treated by tabloids in England, getting the Meghan Markle treatment, of course, her relationships, her struggles with her, her health. Um, hearing her boil that down, and you know, she's not like it's not like she's spilling the tea or anything, but she's mm-hmm. kind of talking about her observations on power dynamics and relationships and like serving others versus serving yourself and feeling you're yeah. perfor- being performative for somebody else. It's a, uh, it's really compelling uh, uh, lyrics. And yeah, I think it's a, 
fantastic album and really hit for me in the middle with Mary Magdalene and then of course Fallen Alien, which I think mm-hmm. is a really striking, immediately standout moment on the album. Yeah. So yeah, I liked it a lot. No, I, I I think you made a really good point in talking about her songwriting because I think when when you kind of start with what makes FKA Twigs a great artist, it's really her earnestness and she's very thoughtful, not only in uh, her lyrical content, but in how she layers the the music. I mean, she has a producer credit on every single song, so she's all over this, obviously. And then you kind of bring into it, like, I, I don't know if you've watched the video for like Cellophane mm-hmm. um, or Holy Terrain, but she really brings in this performative sense. And that goes back to her dancing background, where she's kind of adding to uh, the, the lyrics and the things that she's going into um, in, in a visual way that I think just really um, adds an element, like uh, especially cellophane that, that I, I think I watched that music video like three times, just like <laughs> I was like taken by it. it's really stunning. And obviously, you know, you see her doing this uh, amazing pole dance, but then like the ending of it just kind of flips and it's this really uh, symbolic, like, I don't know, elevation. It's just really cool. Um, but I, I don't know. Did you get a chance to look at the producer uh, lineup on this album? I did. Yeah, you got a uh, got Skrillex on here, Cashmere Cat, um, Nicholas Jar, man. I yeah, mean, he's all he, he he's 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 the muse. He's yeah. all over this. He's on basically every song. Yeah, yeah and I, I think the the songs that stand out the most from this, like I mean, Thousand Eyes, even though it's maybe not my favorite song, is just a really striking song in terms good of good opener. How, yeah, how it layers all these things. Um, then uh, Holy Terrain, uh, I'm pretty sure it has like Antonov, Skrillex, Nicholas Jar like on it. It's just this crazy, uh, crazy pack song. Of course, Future popping in for actually what I thought was a pretty decent Future. Um, I don't know, fit, burst. Fit the theme. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, just uh, she's working with some really awesome artists that really add a lot. Um, I don't know. Just uh, I, I was really blown away on a second or third listen of it, to be honest. And I think this is the kind of album that, like, I put it on my car at first, and I really did not appreciate it until I was listening with headphones and was like, "Oh, wow, mm-hmm. that's a really cool flourish or like that change up right there. The way that they layered that is really, really cool." Um, and I agree, "Fallen Alien, Alien" is probably the the main standout. Any other songs that you liked or that really stood out to you? Yeah, the singles "Fallen Alien" and "Mary Magdalene" were my favorites, but. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when you hear some of her earlier stuff, this type of avant-garde pop, this uh, art pop music, it's um, funny, art pop, uh, anniversary of that from Lady Gaga. Uh, this kind of pop, you, you, can, you, can, you can fade in and out because it's soft yep. and um, understated. But this album, if you're, if, you, if you're, you know, staying alert, I find it really engaging. So, yeah, it's... Um, I, w- I didn't expect it to be as uh, compelled as I was, to be honest. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't think Halsey's album about Jeezy coming in January is going to be this good. Let's put it that <laughs> way. <laughs> good in a different way, right? Because uh, you aren't going to hear many of these songs on popular radio, but you're going to mm-hmm. hear a couple of Halsey tracks all over the place. Um, right. And th- those might have higher uh, popular highs, but... I think if, if you really give the time and, and give the thought uh, to Magdalene, you'll really take a lot away. So we, we highly recommend that. Um, already added Fallen Alien to the nostalgia 
uh, best of album or best of playlist for 2019. So check that out. Uh, and before we, we jump into the end of the fucking world, I just want to talk real quickly, Dave, about something else that had a, a bit of a hiatus and came back. Rick and Morty. Two years, uh, and now it's back. I talked about it two years ago on the podcast. Um, yeah, this is one of those animated series from Justin Roiland that um, kind of similar to BoJack Horseman or uh, similar to Big Mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. it really balances humor with deeper darker themes a lot of time but you know big mouth is a, a bit of a, a, a change up compared to bojack in this because bojack and, and rick and morty is just very dark at points whereas big mouth can get serious but always kind of keeps a, an airiness to it and the premiere <laughs> edge of to morty rick die repeat which First of all, it's an awesome name, and I really like when they, they spoof on these. Got movies. it. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was, maybe, was probably one of the best ways to start off this five-episode run that they're doing right now. I think it's going to be ten episodes in the long run, but it's going to be yep. five and five. Um, because, it, you know, it, the, the premise of the episode is, you know, uh, at the end of the last season, the family had this big falling out. So now Rick has to be very nice to Morty. He like has to like be polite to him, takes him on this trip. Morty gets this crystal that can show you your death. So he becomes obsessed with finding one of these deaths that is going <laughs> to work for him. And um, I won't, I, I, I'm going to put a little spoiler mark because I, I do want to talk about the ending of it and why I think it's so great. But um, basically he makes all these decisions throughout so that he has, he's leading towards this one specific death where he'll be with this girl he likes at his school. So, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you five seconds to fast forward. Uh, <laughs> skip ahead, like, maybe two or three minutes. Anyways, <laughs> at credits roll. Morty has made all these, like, very funny decisions to, like, be moving towards the end. Uh, he actually even spurns away the girl that he's supposed to be with because the crystal's saying he's not going to have the death he wants with her. Credits roll. <laughs> and then it cuts back, and... <laughs> Morty is listening to this girl in the school talking about how what she really wants to do in life is work for hospice and really be with people who have nobody at the end of their life. And just like all of his decisions to basically have the life he thought he was going to have with this girl were just that he was going to end up alone and she was going to be by his bedside um, for hospice, which I thought was just such a perfect um, Rick and Morty moment because it really takes, it really like throws you in one direction and then just totally redirects it very quickly and you're kind of left like it's very funny but also kind of like it takes a second to really piece it all together incredibly smart and that's what rick and morty does so well is it it packs commentary in in a really funny way like in this episode rick kept dying and that's why it's you know rick die repeat um or mm-hmm. And he keeps coming back in all these different universes where fascists have just taken over in every single universe. So, like, he wakes up and, like, he's like, nah, I'm not really down with this fascist shit, man. So then they kill him. Goes to the next one. Plays along with it. They they find out he's lying. They kill him. <laughs> Goes to another one. And he's like, yeah, hail Hitler. And the guy's like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, the one what that wasn't fascist was, like, this one where it's, like, slugs eating each other. Just really, really funny. And it really, I think... Uh, it can be very challenging and, and thought provoking, like especially the end, the end of season three, I thought was excellent. So really excited to have it back. If you're not watching Rick and Morty, you can catch up on Hulu. 
Um, and I, I think it's something that should be talked about more. It kind of goes under the radar in popular TV shows, but definitely worth a watch if you're looking for a fun half hour. So you're saying the Szechuan sauce fiasco at McDonald's does not speak for all Rick and Morty fans? You're not one of those <laughs> crazed lunatics? I, I don't I don't usually eat at McDonald's too much. I actually don't know what Szechuan sauce tastes like. So no, I guess I'm not a true Rick and Morty fan. <laughs> but I think you can enjoy Rick and Morty without uh, having to go that, that far with it. <laughs> so um, highly recommend checking it out. But why don't we talk about a show I wasn't sure needed to come back for a second season. End of the fucking world. Um, season one premiered on Netflix last year. Eight episodes, 20, 25 minute episodes. Quick watch. Really surprising show that I think we both really liked. Um, and I think when we, when we did our wrap up last year, we said, you know, this is the sort of show where I'm okay with the ambiguous ending. I'm okay with it being just open ended and letting us kind of interpret it the way we want to. I felt like the story had been wrapped up and it was based off of a, a novel um, or a comic series, I should say, a mini comic series. Season two, Dave, did we need this? Absolutely not. <laughs> Are no you way. glad we got it? No. <laughs> oh, no. no. This didn't do anything to justify its existence. Uh, that's yeah. a bit of a cliche thing people throw around, but like when you have a perfect ending to a surprise miniseries, you don't need to give it a sequel. And in this case, with season two, the end of fucking world, season two retreads basically all the same ground we went through with season one. And I don't feel like we're in any different of a spot beyond uh, things have been clarified for us. Things that didn't really need to be clarified for the sake of storytelling. So yeah, I um, I was happy it was only three hours long. Shout out to English. You make short shows. We like that. Um, but really, I'm just happy about that because if it was longer, I would be more annoyed. Because I don't think they would have... Like if this was this is a story that's being told, I don't think more runtime would have added anything. So I'm just happy I got it over with. To put it that way, yeah, I'm. Uh, I, w- I was. I found it. I found it much more dull this time around. Despite the fact that I like the performances, I like these actors. I like yeah. Naomi Aki as an actor in the show. I didn't like her character that much, but I thought she was good. Looking forward to her in Star Wars Episode Nine. But yeah, I. Uh, you know, I see some people saying like it's a really good exploration of like grief and post-traumatic stress and moving on from things. But I thought it was way more compelling in the first season where, you know, one of them is pondering existence as a psychopath and the other is completely unable to emote anything. And then having them just like flip roles this time around just to not really figure anything out by the end. I, I was pretty let down, but I also didn't have high expectations going in. So mm-hmm. it's all good. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, I agree. I don't think we need the season. I'm not super pumped. We got it. I, and I also agree on Naomi Aki. Can't wait to see her in uh rise of Skywalker. But I thought the moments that stood out the most to me were the ones where they kind of explored their relationship with each other. Um, you know, when there were like really sweet moments, like, uh, in the motel room when James says that after he's been shot, he thinks he's like impotent and um, really starts to break down. And 
just like looking for comfort and the way that Alyssa comforts her. I thought Alex Lothar that moment, probably the strongest bit of acting from him in the season. Um, I thought that moment was actually super compelling. And I kind of wanted to see more about them uh, trying to build this relationship with each other. Um, because I, I did find this a bit more dull. And Jessica Barden is, I think, a really great actor. And when she's on screen, you want to watch her. But I feel like what she was given was just a very like internal pondering performance when there, I think there's a bit of a missed opportunity to allow her to be a bit more emotive and explore, even though I know the character hasn't really been written that way. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because it's almost like the show felt long and short at the same time where Mm-hmm. I thought I like I felt like nothing happened in a lot of episodes, and I was like, "How does it?" Mm-hmm. And then we're at the end of the season. And I'm like, "Oh man, like what is really going on here?" Right. And I, fe- I actually thought thought the first episode where they were exploring Bonnie was yeah super fascinating, and I'd kind of like to almost see them uh, almost make this a uh, anthology series where they explore maybe different people or different situations, um, but yeah, I don't know it seems like a bit of a miss unfortunately yeah i liked episode one because i thought that was an effective way to you know establish a backstory for a brand new character for the season but i didn't really care about her plight because it's all based on her affection for this piece of shit you know the uh rapist professor guy Mm -hmm. and kind of just guessing that oh she'll figure it out once they tell her and then she'll be really messed up because of how obsessed she got about something that she didn't know. Not unique. And then, I mean, the two stars, they don't, they don't do anything together until episode three. Yeah. Right? So it, did, it almost felt condensed, mm-hmm. yet long, because once they're together, not much happens. I like the wedding aspect of that. That was funny. Good mm-hmm. bit. Um, but, and I, I guess my favorite set piece if you could call them that is the uh junkyard escape when they take the car back for yeah. the impound lot i should say that was that was cool but like yeah overall i, I just think like thematically it was not nearly as compelling the second time around and partially that's because it wasn't brand new you know mm-hmm. but i think you know critical uh attention is increased because you just you did decide to bring the show back when you didn't necessarily need to. So that's what happens. Uh, we don't know if they're going to bring it back yet. Channel 4 and Netflix, you know, it's a, it's a co-production. But mm-hmm. um, honestly, I would not be shocked at this point. I guess you could keep bringing it back because you've already slightly undermined season one. So if I could keep doing it or do what you said and branch off more. I don't think they'll do that given the leads. I think the leads are pretty popular yeah, and compelling, so I'm not going to throw those away. But no. yeah, uh, disappointed to be blunt. Yeah, although this is a show I could see having a really weak second season and then season three comes back and they kind of find the story and, and the footing more. So I'm not totally out in this show, I, um, especially because I think Lothar and Barden are you know future stars and I don't see Naomi Aki coming back if there's a third season, but maybe she'll be in it too. And uh, the talent is there. I think they just need to maybe uh, streamline the story a bit more, find something a little bit more compelling. But anyways, uh, end of the fucking world. It's quick. 
it's still it's still decent tv so there, there's worse things to watch on netflix for sure <laughs> um and last move and worst movies to go watch in the theater and that kind of brings us to last christmas so dave <laughs> we haven't talked christmas movies i'm wondering what's your what's your opinion on them do you like them do you hate them what would you rate them <laughs> do you like christmas are you a fan <laughs> Well, you can like Christmas and not like Christmas movies. I mean, yeah, I like a lot of like the classic ones. Um, I don't like seek them out. I'm not like a ride in the former ABC family 25 days run or anything. Uh, Freeform now. I'm not doing that. But um, Freeform now is trash anyway. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I mean, uh, I don't know if I have a favorite one, to be honest. It's Um, a Wonderful Life. I mean, yeah, it's a wonderful life. Miracle on 34th Street are probably like the quote best ones, critically speaking, right? But I feel like everyone, Christmas movies are very populist. A lot of them are really like all the animated ones are dumb short. They're all like 70 minutes long, right? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it, it's its own genre in and of itself. But this movie is funny because like, despite the fact that Millie Clark's character works in a Christmas shop, he doesn't totally feel like a christmas movie which i guess i appreciate because it's not like a super traditional quote christmas movie even if Mm -hmm. it's a rom-com beats might be a little more familiar right yeah no for sure and i'm i'm even like struggling with the with the rom-com uh label on it you know because while certainly there are rom-com elements um the the ending (laughs) or at least the the twist of it all uh, I don't know. Can you, you have a rom-com with only one person? Uh, I don't know. Interesting. And You can try. Uh, they certainly yeah. did. And they certainly did. And I, actually, that kind of brings me to probably my biggest gripe. So you have, you have Paul, uh, is it Paul Feig? Feig? Paul Feig, I believe. Paul Feig. Comedy um, veteran. Yeah. Lots I mean, of comedy hits on his hands. Freaks and, Freaks and Geeks, probably what he is best known for. Uh, Bridesmaids, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, Spy. Uh, which, yeah, Spy. So, quite a few comedy uh, hits on his hands, and I feel like this movie is pretty sloppy, man. Because <laughs> they, you know, it, in kind of talking afterwards with Julianne, my, my girlfriend, on this, you, we were kind of left with this feeling of like, did this script go through like ten different people before they kind of got to where it is? Because it feels it feels like the pacing was just totally off. Like the first mm-hmm. half of the movie felt like an eternity. And then it kind of takes off when she starts turning her life around. So maybe that actually just speaks to is like, it sucks to watch people be miserable. I don't know. But then you kind of move on to the idea of like, there's this guy at the, at the homeless shelter that she starts volunteering at. And it seems like there might be something between them, but she doesn't want to pursue it because of this ghost uh but then they just never like they mm-hmm. never like really There's go a back lot of stuff like that yeah it's a very messy plot very yes. messy and so much is left kind of just like either they wrap it up too quickly or feels like they wanted to explore and didn't and just mm-hmm. feels unfinished it, like half-baked in a lot of ways um so yeah i was kind of left just disenchanted with this film um you, you said that you felt like it was messy too talk to me a little bit more about that it's funny too because emma thompson co-wrote the movie and of course is in it as Clark's mom mm-hmm. um, I mean yeah I mean think about it like 
they kind of just introduce that uh, her sister is gay and is not totally on the terms with that with with her family, like keeping mm-hmm. that from them. They introduce that um, her Slavic uh, family is immigrants and that xenophobic tensions weigh on them. And Brexit exists in this version of London. Um, the George Michael IP of it all kind of comes and goes. There's just a lot of these like <laughs> subplots that yeah that are just kind of thrown in as like extra flavor for the plot, but but like they are compelling subplots if they're explored, but the movie just doesn't have the bandwidth to explore them, so they just get in the way of the main story uh, of Last Christmas. So yeah, just it's just messy. Yeah, you know the um, the George Michael piece of it all is really funny because even though they're using Last Christmas, very famous Wham song, um, it, it, I did not expect it to just be all George Michael songs throughout. Right. And then I was like, did I buy a ticket to like Yesterday or uh, <laughs> Blinded, Blinded by, by the Light? light. <laughs> you know, it was just. Yeah, I just was like, where are we going uh, with this? And how every single like music box in the store played Last Christmas. And um, it felt like there was maybe like a surreal element to it. You know, like the idea like mm-hmm. that was actually she was just hearing that because it was trying to like help her realize that this guy is a ghost. I don't know. Um, and I, I think where I feel probably most frustrated in, in the lack of exploring is the thing with her sister, right? Because it comes up as a way just to make her like a really horrible person as she like outs her sister to her family. Um, really kind of out of the blue and just like going way over the top. Um, and then it's all wrapped up because she goes and gives this apology, but and they're like, Oh, this doesn't mean I forgive you. And then she just drops off a wine bottle and then things are kind of forgiven by the end. So um, it, it's just kind of like, like you said, they were like, oh, this thing would be really great to have in a movie. And then they were like, yeah, but I don't know if we want to explore it too much. So why don't we just kind of like yada, yada, yada the end? And it's, or how, however we, we wrap up this conflict. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I guess, were you surprised by the twist of it? Did you see it coming? That's the thing. So I, the lead up to this movie, I heard like on a pod, someone else talking about the twist and the whole convo online when the trailer drops is that the trailer gives away the twist Hmm. and i hadn't picked up on it i just kind of had it spoiled so i'm watching the movie looking for the twist and then once i find out that he doesn't have a cell phone and leaves it in the cupboard i'm like all right something strange there we go Hmm. when she uh walks into the garbage bags uh when she's following golding like that there we go always looking up like i uh to start to see it and then it's introduced so late that i'm like are we gonna get this thing <laughs> you know because like i was thinking like when when she goes to the house um that's like for sale his, his old house i'm like how the fuck is she doing these things with a ghost like is she, mm-hmm. you know so yeah she just to, broke into a house right i started to disbelieve <laughs> it um but yeah so it was uh spoiled for me um I didn't notice a audible pop in my theater. You know, some of the, some of the jokes did land like the lesbian pudding one at the end, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, the twist, the twist is uh, it's interesting. And you almost wonder what the movie could be if it didn't have the twist, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, 
I was definitely surprised by the twist just because I was like, oh, this guy is going to like, I I thought maybe be sick, um, like he was going to die, something like that. And that that actually, I think, is the only thing that saves this movie from being uh, not a Hallmark movie um, is that it, it, in the end, didn't really rely on the romance so much as like the message was um like doing for others and i think yeah it's really when it comes to christmas movies yeah when it comes to christmas movies there's two things like is it is it enjoyable and does it like leave you with like a, a good feeling about like humanity and like yeah it's kind of where i was left with it so i i, I had a decent time uh yeah. i would rewatch it if it was on free form which i'm sure it will be next year so mm-hmm. yeah it's fine Amelia Clark was, it was nice to see her not be brooding all the time. Yeah, it's, you know, so obviously Amelia Clark, due to her Game of Thrones commitments, has not had a lot of time to branch out. Obviously, she was in Terminator Genesis, Sarah Connor. She was in Solo, with Kira. I liked her in Solo. Uh, she did her best in Terminator, but that's not a good movie. She wasn't that good in it. <laughs> But this is the first time she's actually like, you know, obviously the stakes are lower. It's just, it's just a normal movie, right? And hearing Amelia Clark, you know, like do late night, do press for Thrones, she's kind of like a bubbly person, very much not like Daenerys. So having her just kind of get to be a, that kind of character, I think is nice because it's obviously a different side that we haven't seen from her, but also seems to just be something that she likes to do because that's just how she is. So that's, that's nice. And also nice to hear her just talk in her native tongue in London, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like when Christian Bale actually gets to use his accent once in a while. It's like, I appreciate that. Shout out the English to talented actors. Um, Henry Golding. Did you, did you, I didn't think he stood out this much. So I liked him much more in crazy rich Asians. Oh yeah. Um, and he has a lot more screen time than that, but mm-hmm. this, he just kind of, he just kind of a pretty guy. And like, ultimately like this, like, Clark and Golding, they really make the poster look nice. They're both attractive leads, but didn't think he did a whole lot in this movie, to be honest. No, I mean, it. it's, uh, he's a vehicle, you know, and he's a ghost in the world. <laughs> he's right? not real. Yes. So it's just like... Sam Donald uh, saw him once. <laughs> uh, and probably, he probably picked him off too. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I was actually thinking about um, Amelia Clark and playing this girl who grew up in Yugoslavia and then her family fled and moved to London during the war. And uh, she just like has this very like British accent and just basically, she's basically just a Brit who's in this family. And then Emma Thompson has this very thick accent, you know, it's like, come on. Give me a little consistency here on the accents, people. Come on. Um, uh, not, not, not at the top of my, my biggest gripes, for sure. But it's... <laughs> I don't know. I think it just kind of speaks more to like the sloppiness of it all. Like It just right. kind of felt like things. some things were thought out, some things not so much. I thought the right. ending scene was fun. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's ultimately... It's, like it's hard to be too critical of the movie because okay. it's such a wholesome message yeah. and story and... Christmas movie. So. Yeah. And I kind of like some of the setup too. Like I thought Michelle Yeoh yep. was pretty funny, and she actually had good chemistry with Clark. Probably better chemistry than Clark had with Goldie. Mm-hmm. Um, but like seeing Amelia Clark just play like a someone who collective uh, definitively does not have her shit together. It's about you know it's amusing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's... yeah, man, rough screenplay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And also, uh, 
Paul Feig, I'm surprised that, you know, he's been fairly sharp with a lot of things in the past for this to be this uh, uh, disjointed and also, you know, coming off Ghostbusters and everything around that. Well, and I mean, pretty panned. It's yeah, well, last year he had a simple favor, which was fucking awesome. Yeah. Too. Like he's great. He is. Um, so, yeah, this is it's just strange to have him and Emma Thompson both involved and do this inconsistent. I guess they just really wanted to go for this concept. It had to be. Had to. Um, but, you know, and it didn't do super well at the box office like most rom-coms. You wonder how popular this would have been if this was coming out on Netflix in two weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I said, like set it up last year and to all the boys I've loved before, Netflix is kind of propping up this genre that continues to not succeed traditionally anymore. But I still call it a bit of a win for Clark, just because it's her just showing something she has else. Some range, yeah. You know. Um, actually, speaking of Netflix, they dropped "Let It Snow," which uh, I'm sure I'll be watching at some point, and we'll be reporting back on. So we'll be talking. <laughs> You're a spoken bit more. for on that one. Oh, I'm <laughs> I'm certain of it. So well, I'll be getting to it. But why don't we wrap up there? Um, check out our our. 2019 best of nostalgia playlist again to get that fk twigs track uh fallen alien and uh give us a rating and review on itunes and go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod as well as youtube.com slash nostalgia pod to subscribe and follow the podcast anyway that's convenient for you dave what should the people be getting ready for next week yeah a lot going on obviously disney plus launches tomorrow tuesday Bruce, the app is not downloadable at this time. Sounds like a bad idea. Um, so we'll have the first episode of The Mandalorian out on Tuesday, the second one on Friday. So we'll be talking about the first two apps next week. Also, I have the Lady and the Tramp remake oh. debuting, which is uh, it's coming. Uh, <laughs> more importantly, Ford versus Ferrari is out in wide release. Uh, we've talked about that already. Excited to sell. Hell yeah. Um, tonight, the EDM duo of Hudson Mohawk and Lunas are dropping a new EP tomorrow. First one in several years. Very excited for that. Um, you know, electronic trap music. They're, they're great. We also have Charlie's Angels remake. The Good Liar comes out. Alicia Vikander has a Netflix movie, Earthquake Bird. Uh, Little Peep has a posthumous record coming out. Probably not any good. But that's a lot of stuff, so we'll be talking about it. And we will be talking about it, so uh, stay tuned for next week. We'll catch you then.